Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. It's nearly July. Half of 2020. It's gone. (laughs) It's gone. It's over. It's done and dusted. Never to be revisited again. Whether it was good, whether it was bad, it's over. It's done. And uh, we, of course, as a church... Uh, full steam ahead into our conference uh, season. It's a really important and exciting time in the life of our church annually. We, we love it because it gives, us, it gives us time. It gives us really focused and intentional time, you know, for the whole family to just be immersed in the presence of God. Who thinks that's a good idea? You know, it's like as families and and as a church, it's like we tie the weekend. We just give it over to Him and set it aside. And and our heart's desire is, God, speak and do whatever you want to speak and do. Like there's no agenda other than Him. Like it's, it's a righteous agenda. If you've been around... For, for any time at all, if you, if you know life at Nations Church, you'll know that one of our cultures is this. It says, we are about encountering Jesus. We're unashamed about that being our culture. We are about encountering Jesus. We love God's presence. We value the work of His Holy Spirit and we desire genuine encounters with Jesus. Give me an amen if you're here for that culture. (laughs) That's actually what our conference is all about. It gives expression particularly to that culture because we desire Him. We want to see every type of person have a fresh encounter with Jesus because who knows, one encounter with Jesus can change everything. One encounter with Jesus does change everything. It's not just a theory. It's my testimony. It may be your testimony. That's what it's all about. And it's with that in mind today that I want to share a word with you that I've called, What Lies Between? Talk to your neighbor and say, what lies between? What lies between? Someone's given a sassy answer. My handbag. (laughs) Something like that. But what lies between? Because at the end of the day, we want to be a church full of people where there's nothing in between us and Jesus, where there's nothing in between us and what he wants to do in us, amen? And, and, and to think about these thoughts today, we're going to turn to the book of 2 Samuel in chapter 6. It's an incredible account that centers on the biblical character, King David. Hello? Tell him I'm busy. <laughs> I can't take that right now. <laughs> I have to preach to these people. <laughs> Uh, so if you're unfamiliar, <laughs> I got real distracted just then, I'm sorry. <laughs> but if you're under, unfamiliar with King David as a Bible character, he was actually Israel's greatest king. 
He, he came to rule in the year 1000 BC and he led Israel through some of her most prosperous, some of her most successful times. Under David's leadership, the Philistine army was, was defeated. Those enemies were defeated. He established Jerusalem as Israel's capital. And one of the very first things that he prioritized doing in Jerusalem was to bring back the Ark of the Covenant. Some of you would be familiar with this, this part of Scripture. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, if you don't know what that is, that essentially was an ornate wooden box. That's what it was. God actually instructed Moses to make the Ark of the Covenant more than 400 years prior to David's reign and rule. And, and this box, the Ark of the Covenant, it was overlaid with gold. The top was made of pure gold. It's also known by names like Ark of the Testimony or the Ark of God. And, and all throughout Old Testament scripture, we understand that this Ark, this box was symbolic of the very presence of God. It symbolized the power and the glory of God on the earth. It was, it was as the ark went with them, so we understand the presence of God went with them. You're following me so far. The, the ark was, was known as the very dwelling place of the Lord on the earth. Now, we're New Testament believers, so, so we live in a different context. We praise God because through Jesus and the triumph of his cross, everything is different for us. Through the triumph of his cross, he has poured out his Holy Spirit. So now the presence of God on the earth is not contained in a box. Do I have a hallelujah? Hallelujah. Now we don't have to go to the temple. We understand that we are the temple. God's holy presence is in us and with us and through us. And it's a glorious time to be alive. Glory to Jesus. But it was not like that for ancient Israel. So you understand when David prioritized bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, he was prioritizing bringing Back God's presence into the midst of his people right where he belonged. Under King David's predecessor, King Saul, worship of the Lord in Israel had actually declined and decreased. King Saul, in many instances, was disobedient to the Lord. And under his leadership, the Ark of the Covenant had actually been captured by the Philistine enemy and carried away or carried off from Israel. And, and King Saul, he never bothered to retrieve it. King Saul was happy to live and happy to lead without the presence of God. That's a tragedy. But, but that was not the case with his successor, David. David longed to restore a nation, Israel, to worship. He longed to restore them back to the presence of God. So he goes to lengths to retrieve the ark and bring presence back into Jerusalem, into the capital, into the midst of the people. And in 2 Samuel 6, we read the story it documents the very moment, like the very day when this ark is coming back into Jerusalem and it was a really big deal. It was a fanfare. It was wild. It was wonderful. Uh, all the people of Israel had come into Jerusalem. They had gathered. They were united. 
What's our conference called? United. You know, wherever we, we um, cherish and value the presence of the Lord, you'll find that the people are united. Isn't that powerful? The people of Israel on this day were united and the priestly tribes, they had prepared themselves. They had consecrated themselves and they were tasked with carrying the ark of God's presence on their shoulders. And they were bringing offerings and sacrifices. They were praising, they were worshiping. It was one big presence party. Who would have liked to have been there on that day? What a day in history. We're going to pick Pick up the account in verse 14 of 2 Samuel 6. It says, Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. Say, all his might. All his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. You're welcome. <laughs> now as the ark of the Lord, <laughs> it's going to get wild. <laughs> now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, she looked through a window and she saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. So not everybody's happy on this presence day. Not everybody's happy in this moment. If you don't know, Michal is David's wife, his first wife. She's the daughter of King Saul. David purchased her hand in marriage for the cost of a 100 Philistine foreskins. Read the Bible, it's wild. You can't make this stuff up. Ken Lee needs to lift his game. He's never done this for me. I wonder if he's going to watch this. He's in Melbourne, by the way, preaching for Pastor Corey Turner today. Um, so, yeah, if you need it. <laughs> okay, we're going to pick that up. So Michael's not happy. She despised her husband in her heart, verse 17. So they brought the ark of the Lord and they set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed amongst all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women. See, everybody's welcome to presence, right? To everyone, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, a cake of raisins. There's provision in the presence. Amen. Amen. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household. That's interesting. Came to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said in a very sarcastic way, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of those base fellows, shamely uncovers himself. Verse 21, so David said to Michal, hang on, it was for, before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house. It's going down in David and Michal's house today. <laughs> He appointed me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this. And I will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Verse 23, therefore, Micah, the daughter of Saul, had no children. She was barren. 
till the day of her death. Okay, there's such a lot going on in this text. There's so much we could dive into. But I want you to have a look with me on this focus of these two different characters. We've got David and we've got Michael. Isn't it funny how two different people can be in exactly the same place at exactly the same time, but they're experiencing two completely different things? That's what was going on in Israel that day. Because if you look just at David in the body of the text, you could summarize his disposition in just a couple of words. His disposition was pure joy and freedom. Was it not? He was just pure joy and freedom. The scripture says he danced with all his might in the presence of the Lord. Whatever was happening inside of him, the joy, the freedom was just bubbling up outside of him so that he couldn't contain his worship. And it was just pure praise and pure liberty. It was beautiful. But when you look at my cow, you see that something very different was going on with her. There was something that lay between her and God's presence. There was something that had come between her and the freedom that was there for her to be had so that she stayed at a distance. Like she stayed in rather than coming out and she just peered through those windows She made herself a bit of a spectator and a bit of a commentator. She critiqued everything that was happening in her mind, that sort of thing. And I think it's very interesting because the truth is that to this day, when it comes to experiencing the presence of the Lord, when it comes to entering into all that he has for his children, you still have these same two types of people. You still have these same two types of responses. You still have your Davids. You have people that are just swept up in joy and freedom and nothing lies between them and the presence of the Lord. But then you have others who for some reason or another stand at a distance. Rather than stepping in, they stay out. Rather than, rather than, you find that there's barriers of some description that lie between them and really entering into what God wants to do. And this was the story of Micah. And I'll tell you, it's a tragedy because she really missed out. She missed out on the blessing. She missed out on the unity. She missed out on the joy. She missed out on the freedom. She missed out on the provision. David had actually come back to her to bless her. She missed out. And it's a tragedy. And I want to pose the question to us today and in Belmont as well. I want to ask you this question. It's a challenging question, no doubt, but it's good for us. If you were to ask yourself... Where am I in the story? Like if, if you were to imagine yourself in the middle of chapter 6 of the book of 2 Samuel, insert yourself into that ancient story, where do you think you were, would be positioned? Like answer the question honestly to yourself. Are you a picture of pure freedom and joy, worshipping liberated with David or are you somewhere far off are you back at a distance somewhere like Michael I don't ask that question to incite any type of condemnation there's absolutely no judgment 
None whatsoever. I just ask that question because it is my heartfelt prayer for nations, church people, for sons and daughters, not only in this season, but in every single season, that there would be nothing between you and your Jesus. Like that's the goal. That there's nothing in between you and the face of your God. Like he loves you so much that you would know that there is nothing in between. That you would come into that liberty and that freedom that Christ died for you to have. Amen. That's the goal. That's the goal. And and before maybe you think I'm inviting us into Pentecostal crazy. (laughs) I'm not. I'm really not. This is not about charismatic crazy. This is about Holy Spirit liberty. Holy Spirit liberty. I think there's a big difference. We're not interested in the counterfeit, but we are very interested in real encounters with Jesus, genuine encounters with Jesus. And maybe you've been witness at times to people calling it liberty, but looking pretty crazy. Maybe that's happened if you like in your life. Maybe that's caused you to stand at a distance and go, I don't want any of that. Can I ask you to take another look? Because the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 3:17, I want you to think about what this means in application in your own heart. It says, Now the Spirit, the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. There is freedom. Are we living in it? There is freedom. You know, fundamentally, this is not a matter of loud or quiet, clappy or not clappy, hands raisy or not hands raisy, you know, dancey or still. It's not, that These things are not the real issue. The real issue is are you bound or are you free? Are you bound or are you free in your heart? Are you living in the Spirit's liberty? Do you, do you experience the Spirit's liberty or is there something that lies between? Because sometimes we're guilty of giving way too much attention to outside expression. Way too much interest to what's going on in the outside. The scripture says man looks at the outside, but God is looking at the heart. We must never neglect the issues of the heart. So the question is, is our heart free? Like who really cares about outward expression? It's overrated. You want to dance, dance. You want to be silent, be silent. You want to kneel, kneel. You want to wave a flag. Wave a flag. Within reason. Once I got hit on the head. That's another story. There still needs to be order in God's house. Amen. But, but this biblical precedent Honestly, there's biblical precedent for all of it, and really none of it matters. The main question is, is there true liberty in our hearts in the presence of the Lord, the way Scripture says there should be, the way Jesus died for us to have it? That's the real question. That is the only relevant question. Jesus died to set our hearts free. Amen? 
We're not called to be a crazy people, but we are called to be a free people. Free people, liberated people, however that looks. And with the time we've got left, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into what were some of these barriers that Michael experienced, that kit my cow, not Michael, she wasn't a dude. <laughs> my cow experienced that lay between her and what was going on in Israel that day, God's presence that day, because there was definitely physical barriers. There was the walls and the windows, but there was also the barriers in her heart. And I believe that some of the barriers that were going on in her heart are the exact same barriers that we face today. Most of us are like the rest of us. Most of us are dealing with the same, same, but different sorts of things. And so my prayer in this season is that the barriers would be exposed so Holy Spirit can come and help us deal and pull that nothing would lie between. Amen. And one of these primary barriers we see in Michael was the barrier of pride. Say out loud, the barrier of pride. Let's call it for what it is, the barrier of pride. It came between her and God's presence. David on that day was literally clothed in humility, but Michal was a picture of pride. And her pride manifested in a number of ways. She peered through those windows with an air of superiority. And she made herself the judge of all that was going on. And she looked and she critiqued it and so on and so forth. And I think we've probably been guilty of that at times. We look at people, we look at meetings and moments, we maybe even look at denominations and, and, and have that edge of superiority. We make ourselves a judge. We make ourselves a commentator. We, we give ourselves the right to critique it all. I don't know about you, but I've done that in the past. Pride has been a barrier in my own life, has been something that I've had to present before the Lord and deal with because it's kept me from what he's wanted to do in me and through me. And this is what Michael said to David. We read it before in verse 20. She said, how glorious was the king of Israel today uncovering himself in the eyes of his maid, maids of his servants as one of these base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. You know, some have incorrectly taught about this passage and believed that David was actually immodest in that moment. Like they, they've spoken that he was dancing in his undies or something like that. But that actually wasn't the case. As I read the commentary, the scripture says he was wearing a linen ephod, which actually means he was wearing the priestly garments. In other words, he's taken off his kingly garments, and now he looks exactly the same as all the other worshippers. He looks exactly the same as all the other ministering priests. In other words, he had voluntarily stripped himself of his own reputation and his own position, and he had humbled himself in the presence of the Lord. He made it all about God and not about him all about the presence and not about his kingship and his wife could not handle. Her pride was this barrier that kept her from the beauty and the significance of what was going down in Israel on that day. All she could see was the reputation of herself and her family. Oh my goodness, my husband 
uncovering himself, my husband decreasing himself in the eyes of all these people, looking all common, and she could not handle. Her pride was the barrier that stopped her from entering in. How often do we wrestle with the barriers of pride? The same thing, our reputation, our image, how might it look, and so on and so forth. How often do these things... Do we allow them to actually get in the way of our lives and what the Lord might want to do? Have you ever been in a place where you sense the tug of the Holy Spirit to maybe respond to an altar, to maybe ask for prayer? to maybe let your guard down a bit, to maybe get a little bit vulnerable with the family of faith. And there can be those times where we feel it, but we don't respond to it. Why? Because what will people think? Because what will people say? What if I look a bit silly? What if I cry? What if I lose my composure? What if I can't hold it together? What if my makeup runs? And that's just the guys. Don't get me started on the women. (laughs) You know, we say things like, oh, I responded last week. I can't respond again. What do they think if I'm struggling with that thing still and so on and so forth? And we resist the presence of the Lord. We resist his Holy Spirit and we stand like Michael at at a distance holding him, holding the Spirit's work at an arm's length. We supposedly keep ourselves together rather than clothing ourselves in humility and falling before him, falling before him. And then we wonder why we're not entering into the joy, the blessing, the freedom, the purpose, and so on and so forth. There's no judgment. We have all been there. This is not about condemning you. This is about liberating you. This is about setting us free and seeing us with nothing in between, seeing us enter into the more, the freedom, the wholeness, the transformation, the liberty, the glory, the purpose, the calling that Jesus has in mind for us to enter into. David, in that procession in front of the ark, he actually sacrificed burnt offerings. Burnt offerings in Scripture are symbolic of complete surrender to God. Complete surrender to God. There has to be in you and I, if we want to enter into them all, there has to be a complete surrender to God. If you want all of who he is, you have to give him all of who you are. I say it again, if you want all of who he is, you have to give him all of who you are in humility. Surrender the judgment. Surrender the control. Like David, be more presence conscious than you are position conscious. We be prepared to strip the robes of our image, strip the robes of our reputation in order to enter into his presence. We don't have that much time today to dive much deeper into the other barriers that were present or evident in my cow's life that day, but closely linked with her pride, we see that she was experiencing a barrier of the fear of man. She cared way more about what others thought than what God thought. She was way more interested in pleasing men than she was in pleasing her God. We see in her the barrier of her painful past. 
If we had time, we'd dig a bit deeper into Michael's story and all the things that had happened in her life and all the things that probably didn't go the way she thought they would go or, or, or disappointed her. And here in this story, it's manifesting in her as resentment and bitterness and criticism and all those things. There was the barrier of her painful past keeping her at a distance. There was the barrier of her independence. I've been so guilty of the barrier of independence where where she relied on her own royalty, her own status, her own strength rather than the nearness of the presence of God. All these things, all these types of things got in between her and God's presence back then. And if we're not careful, they'll get between us and God's presence today. It's time to deal with everything that lies between, amen. This season, God's calling us to deal with everything that lies between. What have your barriers ever done for you anyway? How have they helped you? What's pride ever done for you? Did you win the argument? Good on you. <laughs> like, well done. But at what cost? Did you lose a friend? Did you lose a family member? Did, did that relationship come into great pain and strain? Seriously, these barriers that sometimes we hold on to, in what ways are they blessing us? Are they pulling us into purpose? Are they pulling us into joy and freedom? I think not. The scripture says that after all these events of, of 2 Samuel chapter 6, that my cow was barren. And I believe that That barrenness is actually a prophetic picture. Unless we're prepared to deal with what lies between, these barriers will actually keep us in a place of spiritual barrenness. Not entering into the kingdom assignments and all the wholeness and transformation that the Lord has in store for us. And that is a tragedy. I don't want that to be true of my life. I don't want it for your life either. David was Israel's greatest king. He enjoyed immense fruitfulness and favor and prosperity and he perpetuated the work of God in his generation. But his secret was not military strength. It was not charm. It was not charisma. His only secret, he did not allow anything to come between. He pursued the presence of God with everything that he was, even when he sinned, even when he stuffed up, he still did not let that come between, amen. Amen, when I was preparing this word, I heard two words echoing in my spirit loudly, powerfully, invitation and promise. Invitation and promise. All throughout scripture, you see invitation and a corresponding promise. Just like any invitation in life, when you get one, you have to respond to it. Facebook invitations, right? (laughs) Yes or no? Accept or decline? Maybe. (laughs) You know, but, but you have to respond to invitations. The party does not come to you. You have to go to the party. And you can reasonably expect that when you get to the party that there will be good things there for you. 
There will be food. There will be fun. There will be festivities. But still, you have to respond to the invitation. You have to go to the party. And the same with the Spirit of God. He's calling us to a Holy Ghost party. He's calling us to His his event, His event for our lives. He waits for us to respond to His invitation. Holy Spirit will do the work in our lives. We just have to turn to the Holy Spirit. Invitation and promise, invitation and promise. A few scriptures where we see it, invitation and promise. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God. That's an invitation. And the promise is he will draw near to you. He will draw near to you. 2 Corinthians 3 says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, that's an invitation. He takes the veil away. He removes those barriers. That's the promise. Revelation 3, 20 If you hear my voice and if you open the door, is that not an invitation to open the door of our hearts again? I will come in and dine with you and you with me. The promise is intimacy, invitation and promise, invitation and promise, invitation and promise. The promise is there for you. But our response needs to come to him, needs to be brought to him. Responding to his presence is active, it's not passive. We have our part to play. And I just want to say, let us determine that in this coming month and for the rest of our days, amen, we're going to deal ruthlessly with what lies between so that we can be a church and a company of people. There's nothing in between us and our Jesus, nothing in between us and our Lord, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com.